Joining us on the Honky Tonk Time Machine this week, we have another incredible 90s hit maker with us. Very happy to welcome, for the first time to the show, Susie Baga. Susie, thank you so much for coming on with us. Hey, this is such a cool show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. <laughs> I just, I, I love, you know, anything where, you know, there's some live content to it. I love that. Absolutely, absolutely. And we are pumped to be able to get to see you on May 13th in Marion, Illinois, at the Cultural and Civic Center. Yes, this is one of those gigs that's been on the books for three years and finally we're going to get to play it i've just so i you know it's one of those things where i feel like you know we've been canceled a time or two and <laughs> like i'm ready to do this and i'm ready to see the folks in illinois where you know i'm i'm an illinoisan myself so this is gonna be fun yeah what can we expect at a Susie Bogus show i I'm, I'm ashamed to say i've not seen one well, you know, these days I travel with just a trio, so it's a, it's an acoustic thing. We don't carry drums, um, and I have stellar musicians. So great, lots of lots of good harmony, lots of good picking, and uh, you know, hopefully some songs that some folks will recognize. I always tell people that our show is, you know, it's it's okay for kids and it's okay for grandmas and. You know, if you just want to have a family outing, we're we're a, a lot of fun, and uh, we you know we if we keep any of the distaste above people's heads, so they don't know. Yeah, it doesn't take much to get over my head, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's happening in Marion, Illinois, on May thirteenth. Uh, you talked about remembering the songs. I think they're going to remember the songs, Susie. You have so many good ones. Um, I want to get into some of those. But first, you talked about being an Illinois girl. You're from Northwest Illinois. Right. Uh, just south of Rock Island and Moline and um, just a little kind of, you know, we're kind of a bedroom community, I think. A lot of people work in the Quad Cities and, um, you know, like my folks both worked in the Quad Cities when I was growing up. But uh, but it's a cute little town called Alito and they have a big rhubarb festival there every year at the beginning of June and it's. Oh my gosh! They make thousands of rhubarb pies, and it's it's a pretty big deal. That sounds quaint as all get out. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. And then, so you graduated from Illinois State with a degree in metalsmithing. Yes. Um, well, I have an art degree. I um, concentrated in gold and silver smithing. So. Yeah, most mostly jewelry making. That's awesome. Uh, what what kind of led you down that path? The funny thing is that yeah, I never even thought of anything like that, but I always loved art and so I went to I started at Illinois Wesleyan and I had a lot of friends from Chicago in my dorm and they had broader experiences than I had had and so one of my friends I had taken some jewelry classes in Chicago, and she had these beautiful things to show for it. And I thought, ooh, that looks like a cool thing to do. So I transferred to Illinois State, where they had a, um, you know, a whole jewelry studio and everything, and and you know, ended up, com- you know, completing that side of things for you know, while I was also making music in the bars there as well. I understand you went on to like start designing your own jewelry and stuff like that. Do you still do that, or is that a thing of the past? I still do it when I have time. You know, like I, my thing is now I, I end up kind of putting things together, 
and uh, or fixing things of the of mine that I have been messed up and stuff like that. So <laughs> not like I'm actively making it for market or anything like that. But I did back in like the really early '90s. I did have a little bit of jewelry that I would market. Well, I think that's really neat, and that's something that I didn't know about you until I was, you know, doing a little research for this interview. I thought I thought that was really cool. Something else I learned. <laughs> it's a weird. It's a weird thing. I, I'm always worried that people think I'm out there like soldering, you know, uh, semi trailers or or <laughs> you know, shoeing horses or whatever. But it's really, really like mostly with gold and silver. Yeah, I pictured you in a Ford somewhere, blacksmithing. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Something else I learned about you is that, uh, and, and, and you, you might have to elaborate on this because I don't know much about it, but what I read is that when you were a young girl, you used to visit uh, Roy Rogers and his wife. Right. What, what was that about? <laughs> well, um, my grandparents and my aunt and uncle moved to California, um, to a town called Apple Valley, California, and they just happened to be living neighbor-wise uh, on a desert block with Roy and Dale. And so uh, when I was about 12 or so, I took the train out there to visit, and um, my grandmother worked with Dale at the church. She was at the church auxiliary with her, and so, you know, I went over and met him, and then they invited me back. I was my spring break from sixth grade, and they invited me back for TV dinners on their Wednesday nights, and so I got to hang out with them. Uh, you know, it, it was a pretty the day before I left to um, go home. Uh, I went back over there like I don't know it was like a Saturday morning or something like that, and, and I, I asked them if I could take a picture. Of course, they were just in their like normal clothes and. And Dale says, well, let me put my girdle and my my wig on. <laughs> and, and she did do that for me. And then we, I, so I have some really cute pictures of us together. And later on when I won the ACM Best Fe- New Female, um, I, you know, had continued to go out and visit my aunt and uncle uh, after my grandparents passed away. And so I would bump into Roy at this little place that they'd have breakfast. And the day that after I won that award, Roy was having breakfast there, and he had been at the ACMs, and he said, well, now, I never figured you to be a yodeler. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of fun to have him, you know, like, see me many years later. And, you know, I think probably he had some kind, something to do with me learning how to yodel. I bet so. Were, were they? I mean, they sound like just uh, awesome people. Such down to earth. I mean, Roy had a broken foot that he you know, somehow he broke it on his motorcycle, and he took off his boot, and his foot was as black as it was just awful, black and blue. And he just had it in his boot. That's what he was using for a cast. <laughs> <laughs> Just awful. <laughs> um. Your heyday in country music, especially on the female side of things, I loved that sound. It, it was kind of like a a folksy sound. Yeah, would be the way I would describe <laughs> it. Um, was that? Would you agree? And if so, what were some of those influences that kind of led you down that road? Well, the, definitely the folksy thing. I think came from you know where I grew up, my music teachers, and um, and also you know. 
I was Girl Scout. <laughs> you know, I loved harmony and I loved all that stuff. You know, when my sister got married, she left her guitar behind, and I picked up the guitar about age fourteen, and that was kind of right when John Denver was having his big heyday, and. There were a lot of um, performers that were making music that was, you know, somewhat country and somewhat folky, and it was the kind of music that you could actually learn to play an instrument to because the chords were pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you know that just I kind of just organically moved into that music. And my dad was a big country fan, so. I listened to Merle and Willie Nelson and people like that, Eddie Arnold, when I was little. And um, so being able to, you know, some of those songs I remembered um, from my dad's eight tracks, <laughs> I started learning those, and, and it just kind of led me from one thing to another. When did you decide you were going to try it out in Music City? Oh, God, that was much later. You know, I, I when I graduated college, I took off in a camper truck and I spent about five years using my music to get me from one place to another in the country. You know, I would just, I was started out in the Rocky Mountains and did a lot of street busking, you know, where you opened your guitar case and people throw tips in there. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I bought a little PA system and started uh, working in some of the, uh, the little resort areas around the lakes in the summertime and then around the ski resorts in the winter. And, um, you know, at some point I, I had met enough people that I was getting, I don't know, I was getting some courage and had some friends that moved to, to Nashville and I called them up and by golly, the first day I got to town, I had two nights of work at a local rib joint. So uh, I knew I was going to be okay. My, I could pay my rent. And, and then I started singing demos for different publishing companies, $10 a song. And then I, you know, while, while doing that, you know, I got a lot of kind of free experience in the studio and, you know, how do, how do you use the microphone and that sort of thing where, um, you know, I was actually getting paid to, to, to learn. I've talked to a lot of artists who have had the same experience as you as far as starting out playing at Dollywood, or at least uh, I think when you were there, it was called Silver Dollar City, which we have a Silver Dollar City in Branson, too, so we're familiar with it. Yeah. But was that like your first kind of gig was playing there? Yeah, well, you know, it was Silver Dollar City the first summer that I played there. They were having a, a music festival, and somehow I scored three days during that festival to play at the little train station, and believe it or not, my timing was perfect because that was right when Dolly was there looking at the park, and she'd been contemplating buying it. So I was hired as the first female headliner at Dollywood the first season that it was open. So those three days that I did down there were pretty important to how things turned out for me. Did you actually audition for Dolly or play in front of Dolly then to get that? Uh, she was there. I don't know if she heard me, but somebody at once told me that she loved the fact that I sang without my shoes on. And <laughs> <laughs> they came to hear me at the, the rib joint in Nashville. The, the music directors came to see me there and hired me on the spot. So it wow. was pretty weird. 
That's that's also that, that must have been a, a surreal feeling knowing that uh, you're at least involved in some way with Dolly Parton that early in your career. It really, really, really was, and <laughs> and just the whole. I kind of you know I felt like I was getting my foot in the door a little bit in Nashville, and I was there was a part of me that was like, is this the right thing to do? But the um, the folks from Dollywood, you know, assured me that I'd be opening concerts for Dolly. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what would it be like to get in front of that many people? Um, so, I mean, that first season, um, I was in front of, you know, a million people. And that's a lot to get started. And so <laughs> when the folks from Capitol Records came down to hear me at Dollywood, um, once again, they just offered me a contract right on the on the evening of, after I played five sets, and uh, they they just kind of hung out and did the whole Dollywood scene, and then uh, took me to dinner that night and said, "How would you like to be on Capitol Records?" And I said, "Uh, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, but I think it was somewhere in, around this time that you also made another pretty important connection in your life. Uh, you'd meet Doug Kreider, who uh, you ended up, end up marrying, and obviously he's uh, a great songwriter and wrote some of your music, too. Was that about this time that you met Doug? Yes. Yeah. In fact, the um, Dolly was so cool. Um, she wanted us to each have, a, you know, something to sell in the park, you know, a piece of music or something. And so she allowed us to make our own tapes. You know, back then we had cassette tapes. And so I, you know, I, I hired some people in Nashville and took out a little loan and, and made a record that I sold down there. And that's actually the thing that got onto the desk of somebody at Capitol Records. But Dolly allowed us to sell our product there, took no cut of anything, and encouraged us to um, play original music along with the other music that we played at the park. You know, she she wanted us to be who we were mm-hmm. and, you know, gave us a great launching board. My husband was writing songs for Warner Brothers, and he was the engineer when I was doing all the demos. So I didn't – I played volleyball with him. I didn't know that he had a crush on me. But I recorded <laughs> one of his songs on that tape, and he came to the session, you know, when I recorded his song, and um, and he kind of just never left. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely I – mar- I married him uh, five days after Dollywood's first season closed. Wow. And uh, it, it was pretty magical. That's awesome. And he still never left. He helped me set up this interview. <laughs> That's right. He's, <laughs> he's hanging in there. 36 years now we've been married, so – He's hanging in. Uh, congrats to you both. That that's fantastic. So uh, you talked about that that uh, debut album there with, with Capital called uh, Somewhere Between. Which um, is that a is that a Merle song, Merle Haggard? Yes, it is. Yeah, just like one of his really classics. Uh, back in 1968, he had a uh, duet with his then wife Bonnie Owens, um, who. I don't know if you know that she was married to Buck Owens first, and then she was in Merle's band and then married Merle, and then they broke up, and she was still in the band. Oh, I did not know that. (laughs) That's just, you know, and then he was married to somebody else, but the background singer was still 
Bonnie. So wow, it's crazy, crazy stuff. But I, I've just been a huge fan of his ever since I was a little girl. He's he's amazing. Most people I talk to list him as like their number one influence. It's hard. It's hard not to because it really, um, as much as you think of him as a country icon, he also um, he experimented a lot with different instruments and bringing in little little bits of swing and other yeah. kinds of music. And I mean, he really was. He was kind of brave, you know the the the. the styles that he mixed together that um that worked you know mm-hmm. and and so you know you'll hear some songs from like the 80s that that almost sound like they've got jazz undertones you know that's what's amazing about him he's kind of known for being in that bakersfield sound but he was a transplant to california from oklahoma so he really had a, a mix of everything going on um but to be known yeah. as a pioneer in the bakersfield movement despite all that i think is really cool also i just think that um He's a, he was the kind of person that also was a fan of other artists and, and musicians. And somehow that's why, I think that's how he kept himself open to experimenting and to, you know, you know, as, as a writer, you know, he's, he's unbeatable Mm -hmm. because he, he would just hone down to where he, took every extra word out so that you just got the meat of that song and the feelings and the, you know, how how the notes fit with the lyric, you know, everything was just so perfect. But I feel like um, in the studio, I think he was kind of, I think he really was a pioneer there. I 100% agree. So that, that album, Somewhere Between, um, the most commercially successful single from it was Cross My Broken Heart. Would you say that was your breakthrough single, or did that come later? Well, you know, Somewhere Between was a hit in, like, some regions. I don't know if you remember this time, but there, there used to be a thing where, like, local stations could break a song. Mm-hmm. And, like, Somewhere Between went number one in Charlotte and um, some other, like, Houston and some different places just because... There was some association with the song or whatever it was. Some, some for some reason they just played it a lot, so it ended up going up their um, individual charts. Um, it only went to forty six on the regular chart, but it also earned me that ACM award. And then um, "Cross My Broken Heart" came out after that, so I think I already had a little. You know, it kind of greased the wheel for me. You know, to get things started. But, uh, you know, it's written by a, a couple of close friends of mine, Verlin Thompson and Kai Fleming. And uh, I, I was there when Verlin cut the demo because my husband was the recording engineer. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to hear it before anybody else. And, um, and it, yeah, I just lapped that thing up. I loved it. <laughs> you mentioned the, the ACM for Top New Female Artist. That was 1989. Dream come true to be able to earn something like that? Oh, yeah, I totally did not expect it. it. You know, I was total goofball. It just, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, like I went to make my little, you know, speech after they gave me the award, and I looked down, and straight in front of me was Roger Miller and Alabama and these, you know, huge people that I've been watching on TV all my life, you know, and I was just like, oh, my God, this can't be true. (laughs) 
And no words would come. It was like, duh, <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Before we move on from that album, I, I wanted to point out one other song that I absolutely love from that album, and it's a Jerry Jeff Walker song. You, oh, yeah. you talked about your yodeling. Uh, it's on full display in this one, Night Rider's Lament. Glenn, I still sing that song every single day. I sing it in my, not every day, but every day that I'm performing. It's in my show. It's in my set. I've been singing it since. I started driving across the country and playing in the ski resorts. Um, I, 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 the honest truth is, is I picked up the the cassette tape at a truck stop for like eighty eight cents or something. It was in a cutout bin, and I had always kind of loved the cowboy way and all that stuff. And I was had this big long drive all the way out to Wyoming, and I just taught myself to yodel like, mm-hmm. while I was driving along. And I, I worked with some local ranchers out there in this little tiny place in a little tiny town that only has 50 people in it. And uh, those rancher guys, you know, kind of like they warmed me up to the whole idea of having the harmony and all that stuff on the side. So I, I it's a highlight in my show. Even when I've been um, out performing with Kathy Matea the last uh, year and a half. We even do Night Riders in that set. So, Do you do it together? We do it together. We, awesome. we do everything together in our show, but I'm, I'm trying to teach her how to yodel. She's, <laughs> she's reluctant, but she's, she's playing along like a, a nice friend. <laughs> I've had her on the show before. She, she was absolutely wonderful. She's, she's a doll. <laughs> we actually do a segment. We call it our, our cover song of the night. Um, and I've actually done Night Rider's Lament before, but uh, you know we'll we'll play the original and compare it to the covers that have come along since. So Garth Brooks had a cover as well on his, I think it was the Chase album. So lots of people mm-hmm. have done that song, but nobody's sung it quite like you, I don't think. Well, Nancy Griffiths also did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was you know it's kind of those five years that I spent out west. Uh, traveling around, I met a lot of performers. You know, Chris Ledoux was huge out there during that time, and and you know because he was a rodeo guy, and you know a lot of the places that I played were um, you know cowboy hangouts, and so not only that song, but there's another song that was written by a fellow named Chuck Pyle from Iowa. Um, it's uh, called The Other Side of the Hill, and that's another song that Chris Ledoux used to always do. I pulled, pulled it into my set, and then I found out that the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band had cut it. So when I cut it, I had the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band sing the harmonies on it. So it's just like, you know, music can be like that. It's got a real networking vibe to it. The Other Side of the Hill. I'm going to check that one out. I don't know if I've heard it. Yeah, it's... It's a great song. It's, you know, it's just, uh, it's a good sing-along. All right, so let's go to the Aces album now. So we talk a little bit about commercial success. Well, it would definitely come with this album, four hit singles. Did this did this one kind of change everything for you? Did the landscape change after that? Totally, yeah. When Aces came out, you know, my, um, just every, you know, all the opportunities kind of just started presenting themselves. Um um, you know, again, this is like three years later, but I won the the Horizon Award. Mm-hmm. I was still new, <laughs> even three <laughs> years later. And um, 
So that I think too that at that point I really knew who I was as a singer and as a uh, someone who was uh, choosing their material that you know like the, the part of me that was um, trying to engage with my audience and and who how I could really. Um, kind of set myself apart because at that time, I, I'm sure you know, in those early 90s, there were so many of us and a lot of us had kind of mixed influences, different styles of music that are kind of, you know, from like in my my case, you know, my siblings were a bit older than I was. So, you know, I was listening to my sister's music and my brother's music and kind of getting, you know, a little bit of their taste in my stuff too. Plus, my parents. My dad was the country fan. My mom was the big band person. So, all that stuff kind of came together and melted into the, my love for singer songwriters, which is what Aces was. So, um, it was the epitome of my favorite songwriters. And you know, I, I think I only had one song on there that I even wrote. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, I think one song. So I, it was um, it was all my favorite songwriters. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the first single someday soon, which might it might be our cover song of the week this week. I don't know because you've you've covered a few, but um, that one was from the '60s and it had been done a few times already before you picked it up, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I remember you know listening to Judy Collins sing it. Uh, somebody I think on my dorm floor had that. <laughs> they had that album, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know, and like like I said, I have this infatuation with the whole cowboy lifestyle thing, and and I maintain it to this day. I still do a lot of uh, cowboy poetry gatherings, and you know, I yodel every night. So I I just can't on myself. I I just kind of that that dreamy world of the cowboy vision is still in my brain. You talked about Nancy Griffith earlier. She wrote a song that you put on that album, too, Outbound Plane, which is one of my favorites of yours. Um, We talked with Kathy Matea about Nancy a little bit because she wrote Love at the Five and Dime for Kathy, but she wrote this one, Outbound Plane. Such a great song. It is such a great song, and it's so fun to sing. But if you knew Nancy, you would really, really get a kick out of it because, you know, she had a real sweet, little voice when she talked and she had actually been a kindergarten teacher uh, before she got into songwriting full time and so she would have this really sweet side of her but she also was really salty so for me outbound plane is like it's this really happy sound and not beat thing but if you listen tight to the lyric you find out that she was actually pretty pissed off (laughs) (laughs) yep yep i would agree with that um, I just watched the music video for that last night. It had been a long time since I'd seen it. I wanted to go and revisit it, and uh, I just loved it. Good imagery in that. Oh, those guys did such a great job. And Robert Deaton, you know, does the award shows now. He This was back when he was just a youngster and, um, you know, just kind of getting started and even in the video business. And uh, I did quite a few videos with them. I did one with Chet Atkins, um where we had dancers and the whole shindig and, uh, you know, uh, Deaton Flanagan is the name of the group and, uh, they still, they, they still rule Nashville as far as I'm concerned, as far as the, having the aesthetics. 
Let's go to the next single from Aces, and that would have been the title track, another one that made the top ten for you. What do you remember about recording Aces? You know, Aces was a big deal, um, and here's the reason. It's, um, the the fellow who signed me to my record deal um, was no longer the head of the label, and a new guy came in named Jimmy Bowen, and when Bowen came in, I was kind of like on the cusp. I think he was kind of going, eh, I don't know if I hear it. You know, I don't know if I understand her, what, who she is. And so we tried to do an album together and it just really didn't, um, click. I mean, I don't even think that, I don't even think they, uh, released a single out of it. <laughs> and so at that point, I was, you know, I knew I was <laughs> either going to fall into the black hole of not getting to record anymore and they would just kind of shift me down the pipeline, you know, or I could go in and stand up for myself. And, and so I got going on my side by basically having a heart to heart with him about, you know, if he really wanted to, um, you know, feel like he'd given me my just due, he needed to bring me some songs and he pitched me that song and it was, the time that was when he and I understood each other and we now we finally made a bond and we made a lot of really good records together. So, um, so that song was pretty pivotal, I think for my career. I bet that could be tough uh, when you're on a label and then the people who brought you in leave. I, I would, I would compare it to like um, if you're on a football team and the, the coach that drafted you, leaves and then a new regime takes over um you kind of don't know where you stand right it's totally like that and you know it's you know the people who bring you in are the people who really are championing for you and when you know all of that has shifted and a whole new group comes in you're sort of the leftovers <laughs> you know <laughs> and so you kind of you have to find a way to um you know just, you know, like I said, bond, you know, just find a way that they can feel like, okay, I can work with this. this I understand this person now, and I actually care. The last single from Aces, and uh, according to the Billboard chart, the highest charting single from it was Letting Go, another one that was uh, written or, or co-written by your husband, Doug Kreider. Right. Yeah, that song I fought for for a long time. I I tried to put it on two other records before that, and um, it just seemed like it, uh, it would always get pushed to the back. But when we were cutting Aces, we had uh, about two or three hours left of the musician's time that we had already paid for. And so I asked Bowen if I could please cut it. And... Uh, you know, I said, you don't have to put it on the record if you don't like it, but can we just cut it and see what comes out? And and afterwards, everybody was going, oh, yeah, that's that's real. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up being on two albums, actually, because so, between the time when the single released, I had another album that I was getting ready to release, so they just put it on both albums. Okay. So 1992, let, let's recap, because this is a huge year for you. I think it yeah, was like big one. <laughs> four, four top ten singles in the in the CMA uh, Horizon Award, <laughs> all in one year. Yeah, but it was not bad. It was not bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
next one I wanted to talk to you about is is I think it's my favorite song of yours. It's between this and Outbound Plane is is Drive South, which would have came off of Voices in the Wind. But another one that right. came out early in or, or late, I guess, in '92, and it is your highest charting single. What do you remember about Drive South? Um, I remember fighting for this one too because um, the Forrester Sisters and the Bellamy Brothers, believe it or not, did a duet of this song, mm-hmm. and it came out I think around 1989 or so, and um, so the radio promotion people were reluctant to release it as a single because they thought maybe people would be drawing comparisons or something like that. But, I mean, my version was completely different. I mean, theirs was a, a duet with about seven people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a bit different than mine. And so I remember that Bowen was in Hawaii and the record label guys were in Nashville. My manager was in Denver and I was in New York. And we had a group phone call, like all four of us, and I just leaned on it and just said, "I," because my my manager and the promotion guys were kind of reluctant. And when I just said to Bowen, I just think they're being chickens. I think that they need to release this. It, it, it's gonna it's gonna kick, you know. And they and um, finally Bowen says, "Well, if she's believing in it, and it's." We're give, we'll give her enough rope to hang herself. <laughs> so they did release it, and uh, and I was right. It was a big hit. It's a fun song. Sounds like you really did stand up for yourself when you needed to. I did. Yeah. I did. You, you know, that doesn't always work in your favor, but, yeah, it, it was <laughs> that one I got listened to. When I saw that Drive South peaked at number two on the Billboard chart, I, I dug into it a little further. I was like, how was that now to number one? And then I realized <laughs> the early 90s was a really good time for women in country music because the song that kept it out was another woman, Lori Morgan's What Part of No, which also was a great song. I so. love that song. Yeah. <laughs> I love Lori Morgan. And I, I'll tell you what, there was a, a time when it felt like the powers that be or whatever were kind of trying to keep us apart, all of us females, you know, kind of pitting us against one another. And I will tell you that, you know, it, it was, you know, it wasn't easy, but we girls just said, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to be mad at each other because we can't get our record up the chart. Mm-hmm. And so you'll notice that so many of the female artists love to travel and participate and play music together. I mean, I, I've been singing with my gal pals for many, many years, doing tours and and collaborations and all that stuff, but... So I don't care if she got to be number one. You know, I'm number two. I tried harder. <laughs> well, and you gals set the stage for what would come later. The sound might have changed for women in country music in the late 90s and into the 2000s, but there certainly was an explosion. And I think it all kind of started with, with you ladies in the early 90s kind of setting that stage for everybody. Well, there, there you know, like I said, there was, um, there was enough of definition between each one of us as far as our artistry and our styles um, that I think it was kind of easy to say, I like this girl, I like this girl, I like this girl. Now, there are times when 
I could go back to you and say that people mixed Patty Loveless and I up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like they would ask me, you know, to autograph something that um, was like a song of Patty's. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, um, and I, I don't know, maybe she had the same experience. Kathy said she had that experience happen to her a couple of times, too, you know, where that somebody would get her confused with somebody else. and uh, But for the most part, I think we all were kind of, you know, we came from different parts of the country and um, just, I don't know, we kind of, it just felt like a really good open door for all of us. Change the page of the calendar to 1993. A couple more big ones would come out. We'll start with uh, Just Like the Weather, Susie. What can you tell me about that one? Well, I wrote that with Doug. I wrote that... Um, with my husband, one uh, it was one afternoon when we were on the way to a wedding, and we were having lunch and discussing all of our friends that were getting divorced. And mm. it, there was just something in the whole um, strange thing of being ready to go to a wedding, but talking about all of our <laughs> divorcing friends. And it just kind of popped out. It just, I think, we, you know, one of us probably said something like, I don't know, everybody just it just changed like the weather, you know, and all of a sudden it was off and running. And it, this is, you know, they talk about songs that were written on a napkin. Well, this one, Swear, was written on a napkin. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> and, and talking about uh, amazing women in country music, the next one, Hey Cinderella, was uh, was one that was co-written with Matresa Berg. For those who don't know, Matresa wrote Strawberry Wine for Dina Carter and so many other great songs. Yeah, Matresa's like she's just a songwriting machine. She's unbelievable. She she's so prolific and such a wonderful character, such a you know beautiful soul as well. And that was the first song we wrote together. We've written lots and lots of songs together since then, but it was kind of a getting to know you kind of song and she I she had it in her head that I was a real kind of goody two shoes and and uh as we got to talking and drinking coffee and getting all pumped up we just all of a sudden were getting real mean with the little Cinderella <laughs> and it, it, it was like we went from like not knowing each other to I totally get you. <laughs> you, you, you know, if you knew what some of the the uh, edited lines were that we it took out about Cinderella's thunder thighs and stuff, you know, <laughs> you would <laughs> you would appreciate the fact that we we edited it down to try to make it, you know, that it wasn't just totally a funny song. <laughs> Uh, 1993 was uh, just almost as big as 1992 because also that year you appeared in the Women of Country CBS special, which I watched again not too long ago, actually, when I was preparing for another interview. Um, the, the, the roster, <laughs> How does it hold up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed it. The roster for that special was incredible. Yeah, it sure was. Um, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun and just really had, we just had, such a, a blast. I I uh, haven't seen it in a very, very long time, but every once in a while, um, uh, one of the videos of uh, singing with Mary Chapin yeah. will pop up, you know, like in my memories or something like that, and I can't help but watch it and just think about how much joy was in all of us right, right then to be able to be singing together. It was It was really very, very special. 
And you talk about continuing to tour with some of these artists to this day. So you're a part of that Chicks with Hits tour, right? That goes out with Terry Clark and, and Pam Tillis. Yeah. Yep. Yes, we have a blast. You know, it's just it's just the three of us on stage. And so we Pam plays some bass, I play some drums, Terry plays some lead, and we do three part harmony on each other's hits. So it's just the entire show is just hits. And uh, it it's really you know, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's like, I can't even believe that I get a paycheck for doing that because it's so much fun. <laughs> it's hard to pick one, I know, but, um, and you can, you can mention a few names, but who are some of your favorites from your, from your time, what, male or female from, from your heyday? I mean, Oh, wow. So many, I mean, really, honestly, I mean, so many of them are not just, um, great artists, but they're also my friends, you know, you know, people that I have dinner with all the time, you know, but, you know, of course, Matrice and I are very tight. Kathy Matea and I are very tight. You know, now that Pam and Terry and I have toured together for four years, um, I mean, they're my sisters. So Lori Morgan is another example. I love Winona. I, you know, the guys, I mean, so many, I mean, Steve Warner's a really close friend. Um, when I think back on just voices that killed me, Joe Diffie mm-hmm. was one of my faves as far as just what a voice and, and great songs too, you know. Um, just, I don't know. There, there's just, it's like it was a big class, you know. Alan Jackson always kept it right in the center, you know, where he was a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit, you know, just soulful heartful country um just there's so many of them i can't really i can't really yeah. i i can just go through it and name them all <laughs> I, i'd say you answered the question adequately <laughs> okay good good and 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 yeah alan um in particular just he he knew what he liked he knew what his sound was and it was true to that throughout his entire it, career and he still does that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, even when he writes new songs, you just, you just feel he knows who he is. Well, as we get ready to wrap up this interview, Susie, I appreciate you for spending so much time with me. Uh, I want to remind folks once again that May thirteenth is the concert at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. We are so much looking forward to having you out. K one hundred three FM dot com. You can still get there uh, and, and purchase tickets. I believe some tickets still remain available. But you have so many fans that are still in our area that still request your music to this day. Is there anything you wanted to mention or say to them before we do let you go? Yeah, well, bring out bring out your moms. Or if you're a mom, ask your husband or your kids or somebody to bring you to the concert. I'll sing Letting Go for you, and we'll all cry together. <laughs> that sounds like some sad fun. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of laughs, believe me. <laughs> we, we we have a liner on the show that says, classic country music, songs that make you feel good by making you feel sad. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> oh. Susie, thank you so much for, for your time today. It, it's It's been a lot to us. Oh, great. Well, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate you helping me get the word out about our show and taking an interest in, you know, what's going on in the world.